been in a series, this is the fifth Sunday, so five weeks, on the topic of spiritual laws. Laws are those things that can't be altered, they can't be changed, they work for everybody, everywhere, all the time. They are the same. In the natural, we understand some laws like the law of gravity, for instance, and how that the only way you can beat the law of gravity is by somehow getting enough lift and thrust to make you able to fly in a plane. But as we pointed out, I think every week, might as well say it again today, if you don't think gravity is still there, just kill the engines, you'll find out gravity's still working. Uh, look in the mirror and you'll find out gravity's working too. But uh, anyway, those are natural laws and I think we would be very foolish to think that spiritual laws that God instituted would be any less constant or powerful. And of course they aren't. We first looked at the law of love, the royal law, James 2.8. We looked at the law of life, Romans 8, 1 and 2. And now we're looking at what Romans 3.27 calls the law of faith. Our example is Abraham. He is the example that is given to us in Romans chapters 3 and 4, primarily about salvation by grace through faith and how righteousness, a right standing before God, comes not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith. Now, we spent last Sunday going into the first part of this, so I, I can't go into all that again, and we, we don't need to do that. But it's available free. You can listen on the app, listen on the website, listen on YouTube, Facebook, whatever. You can find it, and uh, you can hear. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, our text scripture is Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. And it says, where is boasting then? And it's talking, of course, about the context of could we boast about our righteousness? The answer, obviously, is no. He says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, or no, but by the law of faith. So I don't know if you've always thought about faith as being a law, an eternal, unchanging spiritual law, a law that works for everybody, everywhere, all the time, but it is one of those kinds of things. The law of faith simply is this. It is when we believe in our heart, or our spirit, those words are interchangeable. When we believe in our heart what God has said, or you know really when you open your Bible, it's, it's what God is saying, because the Bible is a living word. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, which means they're not past tense. It's always a right now word. Faith is always now. It's not past tense either. And of course... The word gives birth to our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And so the law of faith says that I believe in my heart what God has said. And this is my first response, which really brings the law of faith into activation. My first response is I confess that truth. I speak that truth. With my voice, which is a unique thing, you know. It's, your voice is as unique as your fingerprint. It is your spiritual identity, if you will, your spiritual address, whatever kind of terminology you want to use. When God hears your voice, he knows it's you. He doesn't say, well, is that so-and-so or, or was that over there? Where did I hear that at, Jesus? No, that's not going on in heaven. God immediately knows your voice. And, of course, the plan is 
we're to know his. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and the voice of the stranger they don't follow. So the law of faith says that I believe what I hear God say. And I believe it enough till I will confess it. I will speak it myself. And when I confess his word, when I speak his word, then God becomes the performer, to use the terminology of Jeremiah 1 and 12 and the terminology of Luke 1 and 45, then God obligates himself to be the performer of his word. Because you see, when I speak God's word, it's not just, it's not my word, it's his. A lot of people have a real problem with the law of faith in that they think that we're trying to order God around, that we're saying things and we think somehow foolishly that we're backing God into this corner and he just has to do what I say. Well, that's obviously not what real faith teaching is. Real faith says that I'm simply saying what God says. So that means what I'm saying is his words. I'm repeating what he said. And when he hears his word, according to Isaiah 55, 11, and again, we, we read these scriptures. We don't have time to go back through all this today. But in Isaiah 55, 11, when he hears his word, he said, it will not return to me void. So we close that circuit and the power flows from where the word has been sent to us and we return it back. That's our responsibility. That's our part. We don't have to make up a word. We don't have to perform the word. We just simply have to return it. That's pretty easy, really. But you know what's odd? Very odd. I've been ministering now over four decades, and I can tell you that this is one of the most difficult things in the world to get people to do. I don't really know why, but it's something that people have such a struggle with. To open their mouth regularly, faithfully, and declare the truth of God over their lives completely, whether it's their family, their children, their money, their health, their body, their ministry, or whatever it may be. For some reason, this seems so difficult, and I believe, I don't guess I have scriptures to prove it per se, but yet I do believe that there is a conspiracy of the enemy to keep this from happening. Because the devil really doesn't care what you believe as long as you never say it. As long as you never speak it. And you see, speaking anchors you to a degree. You're committed to what you confess. That's why you guys and gals need to constantly confess your love for your spouse. Because you are committed to what you confess. It's not that you told them 20 years ago and they ought to know that you'll let them know if you ever change your mind. That, that's not going to work. You need to constantly affirm your love. You're committed to what you confess. Our words are containers. They are spiritual containers. And they carry either life or death. Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What does that mean? That means that your words contain power for life or they contain power for death. And whatever you're saying is the fruit you're eating. If you don't like how your world is going, the first place you need to change or make an adjustment is in your words. Now, 
Abraham in Romans 3 and 4 is our great example. And as a matter of fact, let's look at verse number um, 12 of, verse four, of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 12. When it's talking about Abraham, it says, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. And so he's saying to us here that there were steps of faith that Abraham took and that we, even though we're not Jewish people per se, because that's what all that's talking about, the circumcision and non-circumcision, we're not natural Jews, but yet we can walk in the steps of faith of Abraham. That is what we're looking at. When we look at the law of faith, we need to know what are the steps of faith. Now, some people don't like that terminology either because they don't want to hear that there's a process. They just want to, you know, watch Jeopardy and the price is right, gun smoke, whatever it might be, and just, you know, do whatever they do and just hope it all works out. Well, it's not working out, is it? You know, faith is, an, is, is something God has given to us not only to bring him pleasure, but also to receive what he offers and also to produce change in a fallen world. Now, faith will always be with us. Even in the millennium, it'll be here in the new heaven and the new earth. These spiritual laws, the law of love, the law of life, the law of faith, and the law of sowing and reaping, those are never going to go away. They're eternal constants. But the law of faith is going to work without hindrance in that time. Here and now, there are hindrances to faith. You know, there are things that you can do that will just bottle up things and keep them from flowing. There are things you can do that will supercharge faith and make it work much better. And so we need to learn the process. Why did Abraham need to do these things? Well, it's because Abraham couldn't produce the miracle that God promised. But you know what? He didn't have to produce it. He just had to believe for it. Whatever you're needing in your life, whatever that is necessary that only God can fix, I just want to assure you today, you don't have to fix it. You don't even have to figure out how to fix it. You don't have to try to line up everything and, and, and manipulate circumstances so that it could get fixed. All you have to do is believe God enough to act on his word. And the first action, it isn't the only one, but the primary action of faith is your confession. It's your words. Abraham couldn't produce the miracle. Only God could. However, his faith with the God in the God of miracles was the thing that was essential to release the flow of God's power into his hopeless and impossible, in the natural, we understand, situation. And to turn that situation around and see God's promise come to pass. And what we learn from Abraham is faith is vocal. Faith is involved and faith is active. I want to say that again. It's important. Faith is vocal. There's really no power in silent faith. Not as a usual thing. Faith is vocal. Faith is involved. 
and faith is active. God sends his word, initiates the faith process, and then if we learn to respond properly, then God will bring to pass the results that he promises. Abraham had God's word for what he was believing for. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Well, you're in Romans 4. Look at verse number 17. For a mo in a moment, we'll look there. But I want to make this statement as we're, we're making our way toward these five steps. And that is that Abraham had the promise of God. So the first thing that happens where faith is concerned is God's initiation. What do I mean by that? I mean God sends his word. Some way, somehow, God gets his word to us. His promise comes to us. We begin to realize what his will is because his word is his will. And, of course, I refer to this so often, as you can probably now guess why that we had this printed up and put on the side of the wall. Faith begins where the will of God is known. I wish I would have come up with that. But F.F. Bosworth did nearly 100 years ago. And I don't know if it was original with him or not, but anyway, he gets the credit today. But God initiates the process when he sends the word. That's his responsibility. Now, you and I as a church, just by the way, we get to help him. That's our commission, to preach the gospel to every creature. But even when you and I take the word to people, again, it's not our word, is it? It's God's word. So God always sees to it that he gets his word to people that, will, that are hungry for it. And, and uh, you know, he, he wants to get his word to people. And that's why we were told to go. And the Great Commission, he said, go ye. And he never did say, come back. So it's an ongoing thing. Amen. But Abraham had God's word for what he believed enough to take action on. Now, I want to say that again. Abraham had God's word for what he believed enough to take action on. Because if you don't believe it enough to act on it, then for all practical purposes, you really don't believe it. You've heard people for years, some of you have probably, say, well, I believe that God can. I believe in healing, or I believe in this or that or the other thing. Yeah, but do you believe it enough to declare it consistently? Will you be declaring it if Jesus tarries 10 years from now? You see, always, everybody say always. Always, always faith is revealed in our words. Always. If you don't believe it enough to say it, you really don't believe it enough to cooperate with God and see it come to pass. If faith can't move your mouth, it will never move your mountain. And again, this is something that seems so hard for people to just do. I don't know exactly all the why, but it just seems difficult. Uh, I know in our house, part of our routine in the morning is, um, I've got things to say. And of course, Glenn and I have been married for 48 years and she's not necessarily interested in hearing me say a whole lot more every morning. <laughs> and so usually I'm in my place and she's in her place. 
And we're, as Smith Wigglesworth used to say, we're sething. He got that from Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall, saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And his Yorkshire accent, he would say, Seth. And so he would ask people, are you Sething yet? <laughs> so I'm asking you today, are you Sething yet? I've learned that that Sething is so important. It's in that time every day that I declare before God, I will live long, I will live strong, and I will live well upon the earth. I'll live till I'm satisfied with long life, and I'll live till I finish my course. I say that every day. It's in that atmosphere that I declare, God gives me the power, the ability, the adaptability to get and produce, to make wealth, that he may establish his covenant in the earth today as it was the day it was spoken. It's in that atmosphere that I declare, surely he has borne my pains and carried my or born my sicknesses and carried my pains yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed and that's just a little sampling and you see it's not necessary that everybody else would hear that but it really is necessary that I hear it because faith cometh by hearing and yes, it can come by hearing the preacher, and I listen to people preach. I was just listening to Brother Hagin preach, message that he preached, I guess, in, back in the 1980s. I was just listening to him preach about divine healing last night. And, uh, and then, you know, I hear myself. So, you know, whoever you're hearing, if they're speaking the Word of God, faith comes. Faith always comes. Now, you might say, well, but do you really feel like faith comes? No, not all the time. Sometimes I feel like I wish I could go back to bed. <laughs> or sometimes I feel like I need some more coffee. But you know, faith is totally, completely separated, totally divorced from your feelings. Faith is never, not one iota of faith is a product of your emotional soulish realm. It is always a product of the spiritual dimension. That's the only way that faith is going to overcome natural things is if it truly is faith coming from the spiritual dimension. You don't fight natural battles with natural armaments. Now, I understand in times of war and so on and so forth, you know, they do what they do. But I'm talking about in, in the sense of your life and mine as a believer day by day. I'm not going to win the battle over any situation of life that's negative and bad and tough with natural weapons. I'm not going to weep my way to victory necessarily. And sometimes, you know, we do weep. Sometimes we, we weep with sorrow and sometimes we weep with joy. But whether I weep or not, whether I put on my... You know, when I put on my little pitiful voice, oh, God, <laughs> you must see how, you know, how, how lowly I am, you know, or whether I put on my Pentecostal voice, God, I come to you today, and I believe, whatever. <laughs> some of these days, some of these days, none of that moves God. But when I bring him his word, I've got his attention. 
my voice, that unique voice, you may not like my voice, but God loves it. And when he hears, when I'm sething, then he immediately obligates himself. Now, he's a sovereign God. I didn't put him in this corner, but he obligates himself to perform his word. Jeremiah 1.12, I will hasten my word, God said through the prophet, to perform it. So this is not some crazy make up anything you want to make up, whether it's right or wrong, biblical or unbiblical, and that somehow you're going to just force God into it. You know, those who criticize uh, a strong faith message, you know, they like to go out and find the kooks and, uh, you know, crackpots and the extremes and think that everybody's painted with that same brush. Well, we know that's not true. We know that isn't true. So what are these steps? What are these steps? And I know some of you have good memories, and so you already heard me say there are five steps, and you're already looking at your clock and thinking, oh, me. <laughs> well, you know, we may not get through all five today. This may be, you know, we may have to take this up when I get back from my trip, and I'll be really ready to go when I get back, I promise you. But anyway, verse 17 is the number one first step. This is the first thing that we do. After we've heard the Word of God... Um, and, uh, well, let's, let's look at, start with verse 16, and then the first step's in verse 17. It says, therefore, it is of faith, that's the promise of God, which primarily we're talking about salvation by grace through faith, righteousness by faith. But we know that salvation is an all-inclusive term, so that would include anything you might need from God. Your healing is just as much included as your remission of sins. Now, in our minds, we're thinking, well, remission of sins is the most important thing. And, and yes, I can see that point. But when God sees the package of salvation and what he put on Jesus and what Jesus bore for us when he became what we were so we can be like he is, God doesn't see it as segmented out. And there's a whole lot of forgiveness and there's a little bit of healing and there's a smidgen of getting your needs met and a little bit of uh, peace in the family. No, God sees it as a total package. Everything Jesus paid for is yours. It'd be just like you go to the store today and you buy one of those containers of Bob Evans mashed potatoes. <laughs> you know, uh, I can thank my brother-in-law, who is a single dad raising his kids. He, he introduced us to Bob Evans mashed potatoes. And I was very skeptical at first. And it, Bob made a believer out of me. <laughs> now, I know you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Abraham? I don't know that Abraham ever ate any mashed potatoes, but if he did, he would have liked them. But the reason I bring that up is because when I buy those potatoes, I'm buying potatoes, I'm buying salt, I'm buying butter, I'm buying cream or milk, you know. I think there's even, maybe, oh, I don't know. But anyway, I'm buying at least those four things. And so when God sees you, I'm not calling you a package of mashed potatoes, but when God, <laughs> when God sees you and he sees his provision, he sees it all. You know, I've never once gotten one of those things and Glenn takes it out of the microwave and, 
even sometimes puts it in a bowl, and it just looks like she's done such a great job of work. And I've done the same thing, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of neat. But I never say, you know, all I want out of that's the salt. I don't want any butter. Don't, don't want any milk. Don't really want any potatoes. I just want this. You know, we don't do that. That's crazy. I'm being totally facetious here. Well, you've got to realize that when God sees salvation in your life, he does not see this little segment here or there. Now, today I'm just in the mood for this. And maybe tomorrow I'll give you. No, it's all there. It's all there. Say this when they say, Father God, I thank you for full provision. And I want you to know that I'll take it all. In Jesus' name, let's praise him. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll just take it all. Glory to God. So that's what's being referred to here. And, and he made it on the basis of by grace through faith. That means it's available to everybody. And that's familiar uh, words to us because it has to do with the thought of salvation in general. By grace through faith. What that means is, is these blessings are available to everybody that God has saved. It's, it's all of ours. It's available to everybody that will receive Jesus. So he says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure. So whatever you went to the scriptures and you found the word of God, God has brought his word to your life, you can be assured it is sure. And he says, sure to all the seed. That means those who have just got born again or those that's been saved 40 years. That means no matter who you are, where you come from, what time it is, what part of the world you're in right now, it is sure to you. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. In other words, Jew and Gentile alike. I don't know how many of you might have been raised up in certain churches and maybe you might not be old enough to have heard this now, but, but some of us heard this. You know, all these, when people start talking about the good things in the word, they start saying, well, that was just for the Jew. Well, they need to read this verse because it's pretty clear here. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or not. These blessings are yours. So what's the first step? What's the first step? Well, verse 17 gives it to us. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God. And here's the first step. Here's what Abraham picked up from God. Here's the first action of faith. This is an indispensable, indispensable uh, activity of faith. If your faith's going to work, you have to learn to do this. Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's the number one step of faith. Calling those things which be not as though they were. It's the first action of faith, and it is the most important action of faith, as your life will always rise or fall to the level of your confession. If you don't like your life, then you need to change what you're saying. I'm not saying there won't be other things you have to adjust. But I'm saying that's the first issue, is you've got to change what you're saying. Proverbs 18.21, we've already quoted that this morning, but death and life is in the power of the tongue. Jesus told us in Mark 11, 22 and 23, have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith. 
For truly I say unto you that whosoever, Jesus said this works for everybody. Remember, it's a spiritual law. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Not what your mother-in-law says. Not what your spouse says. Not what your neighbors say or your boss or your old schoolmates. But what you say. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we pointed this out last week. The spirit of faith speaks. It believes in, our, in the heart and speaks. We having, Paul said, the same spirit of faith according as it is written... I believed and therefore have I spoken. He said, we also believe and therefore speak. Quoting from the 116th Psalm from the words of David the psalmist. So your voice is the unique feature of your personality. And it is the voice not only of your head, not only your physical body, your, it is a, a physical operation to give voice to something. But most importantly, your voice is the voice of your spirit. That's how, that's how your spirit is identified, through your voice. You know, I can't see your spirit. You can't see mine. We, none of us can see each other spiritually. We're only seeing the houses we each live in here today. That's what we see, which is our physical bodies is what I'm referring to. But the way I know your spirit is when I know your voice. The way you reveal the real you, the man on the inside, the inner man, Paul calls him. Peter calls him the hidden man of the heart. The way that man or that woman is identified is when you open your mouth. And Jesus said, by your words, you'll be justified, or by your words, you'll be condemned. The word condemned there means to pass a sentence like a judge in a court of law passes a sentence. And, and in modern uh, legal terminology, if someone is condemned by the judge, that means they've been given a death sentence. They're going to die. God says, you speak life or death with your tongue. Proverbs 18.21, or in, uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus said death, uh, that, you know, your words, you're condemned or you're justified... It's all the same principle. So my question to you today is, what are you saying? What are you saying? When, uh, when push comes to shove, as we say, what, what are you saying? What comes out of your mouth constantly? Are you a complainer? Are you a whiner? I don't know which is worse, unless it's a whiner complainer. But, I, you know, I, want, I really honestly think sometimes people fall in these traps and habits and they don't really realize. They don't really realize it. You know, sometimes maybe we ought to have a tape recorder. And you know with your phone you could go around and help people out. 
You might get whipped when it's over. I don't know. But no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But, but the way that Abraham began this great transition into the father of many nations. And you've got to understand all that was going on there. When Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 years old. A hundred years old. But I think sometimes even more miraculous is the fact that when Isaac was born, Sarah was 90. I mean, how many 90-year-old women do you know having babies? You don't know any. And not only did she have a baby at age 90, which is a miracle, even if she'd had a dozen children prior in her life, but Sarah had been barren all her life, never been able to have a child when she was a young woman. And yet God overcame all of that because Abraham dared to call those things which be not as though they were. And of course, Sarah cooperated in more ways than one. And they, they, they held the promise in their hand. Named him laughter. Because God's promise to them at one point in their life, at, at least as far as Sarah's mindset was concerned, it was laughable. And God, you know, called her on the carpet about it. And she tried to deny it, but she was caught. And I think it's just wonderful how that then when this little boy was born, she must have laughed and called Isaac, Isaac which means laughter. So this faith confession of Abraham was spilling over on Sarah. You know your faith affects the people around you? I mean, let, let me ask you another kind of tough question when you just think about it. Think about the people that you spend most of your time around. Are they positive people? Are they friendly people? Are they loving people, kind people? Are they, are they faith-filled people? Because if, if, if they're just all a bunch of goofs and they're always negative and they're always fussing and going on and it's just always a lot of drama you might want to let your faith show a little better you might want to to influence them toward believing God you might want to counter their negativism with some positive faith statements Lord knows there's plenty of negativism in the world and there's plenty of things to be mad about heard about wonder about, be upset about. There's all kinds of mess in the world. But we are citizens of heaven. We're on our way there. This is just a pass-through. This is just a journey. So everywhere I go, I'd like to leave some good stuff. And faith is part of that equation. Amen. Now I want you to notice another thing before we go. And that is, this verse says that Abraham called those things which be not as though they were. It does not say that he called things that are as though they were not. It's very important to note that. Faith does not deny facts. If the scale says you're... <laughs> Faith doesn't say, I rebuke that scale. It says 200, and I'm really 135. You know, you don't do that. 
That's foolishness. There's no faith, and that's not how you get to 135 pounds. That's a whole other message for another day. <laughs> I'm not going there, especially when I think they're having some food here after a while. But anyway, um, it doesn't call things that are as though they were not. You know, you get the bill, and we had a very hot July and a very hot August, and that power bill says what it says. And it was so nice to lay down at night and be cool. But then the bill came. <laughs> you know, denying that you owe Dominion or Appalachian Power or whatever co-op, whatever it is, denying you owe that, that's not faith. What faith says is, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I call this bill paid, and I'm actually going to send a check that don't bounce and pay the bill because God is going to supply my needs. Abraham was saying that. He said, I'm Abraham. God changed his name, father of many nations. Can you imagine anybody in that period of time from his name change until Isaac was born? Can you imagine the people, if he met somebody new and, and there was an introduction made? I want you to meet my friend Abraham. He's, I want you to meet my friend, the father of many nations right here. Of course, Abraham was a man of great dignity. He was a man of great wealth and spiritual gravity and, and authority. And so people would have probably kind of been in awe of him anyway. He's an old man, about 100 years old. And, and so you're introduced, and so you're just making conversation with this fine old gentleman, and you're saying, well, father of many nations, you must have a lot of kids. And he said, no. I really don't have any with my wife. Well, that's the talking point right there. But anyway, <laughs> I've got one kid by the, by the maidservant, but my wife said it was okay, and I, I agreed. And, and that's another story for another day, you know, problems there. Uh, and you can understand that people would have thought, well, he's rich. He's got a great reputation. He's well-respected. He's got this large compound of people, servants, and all the rest. But evidently, he's getting senile. <laughs> because he thinks he's the father of many nations. Well, I don't know if that actually happened, but you can imagine something similar could happen, especially in our world today. But I wonder if those people were laughing and shaking their head when Abraham walked into the post office <laughs> and I know they didn't have a post office but anyway when he walked into the post office with this little boy and he got to tell people and my you know let's say Isaac's four years old and so he brings this little four-year-old boy in and he says I want you to meet laughter his 94 year old mother let him come to the post office with me today no, nobody was laughing then. They were in awe that God could do the impossible. <laughs> oh, glory to God. That God could do far exceeding abundantly beyond what we could even ask or think. How marvelous it is 
That God can do these miraculous things if we just will give Him something to work with. If we will return His word. If we'll exercise our faith. If we'll stand firm on His promise and not be moved by what we see. Not be moved by what we feel. Not be moved by what other people say. But be moved by what we believe. And we believe God. Glory. Hallelujah. I believe I'm healed. I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm righteous. I believe my needs are met. I believe I can do all things through Christ, which gives me the strength. I believe that he heals all my diseases. I believe that he renews my youth like the eagles. I believe God. And I believe it enough to say it. Hallelujah. Let's just lift up our hands and praise him. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Calling those things which be not as though they were. You speak over your body. You speak over your finances. You speak over your children. You speak over your marriage. You speak over your business. You speak over your job. You speak over your investments. The power of words brought the entire world, everything you can feel, touch, taste, or see, anything that's perceived by the five senses of the human body, words brought all those things into existence. And God said, and it was so. Yes. Again and again and again. And also in Genesis 1, great study, and God said, and God saw. Yes. Words precede sight sound precedes sight if you want to see differently if you want life to be different change your sound change your words amen father god today we're so thankful for your precious word we thank you for the anointing that destroys yokes and removes burdens your presence is here. Your anointing is here. And Lord, today, as we have heard your word, we have an opportunity now to act on it. We get to choose our words. We're the only ones of your creation that can really do that freely. Angels are assigned as to what they do and say. Animals cannot speak and use words as we do. We uniquely have been given this privilege to choose and then speak our words at will. Lord, we choose to just say what you say. And when we say what you say, Lord, it takes us completely beyond where we are. It takes us out of the natural into the supernatural. It takes us beyond ourselves and what we can do what we can buy or what we can fix it takes us into the realm of the supernatural so we open our mouths and we dare to speak your word with heads bowed and eyes closed I want to make a statement I'd like for everybody to listen carefully you exercised the law of faith when you were born again Romans chapter 10 tells us Verse 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The most important decision you ever made 
the most important change, the most significant blessing you ever have received occurred when you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Nothing is more important. But I remind you again, God sees the whole salvation thing as a package. So that means that salvation didn't stop just at that moment. It's a forever thing. So if you're here today, or you're watching online, either today or at a later time, and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never come into this great covenant family of God, or you're what sometimes we call a backslider, you've just walked away from God and just basically living like you never were saved, perhaps. There's a way back. There's a way into the presence of God. If we do just what we quoted a moment ago, if we will believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, knowing, of course, he died for us in our place to take our sin debt and pay it. If we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and we will confess him as Lord, the Bible tells us we'll be saved. The word also tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want everybody with me to repeat this prayer. I know that most of you are saved, but I want everybody in here to repeat this prayer with me. And if there's anybody here or watching that needs to pray this prayer and make it yours today personally, then please do that right now. Say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe in Calvary. I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place. I believe he redeemed me from the curse of the law, the hand of the enemy, and from all my sins. Forgive me, cleanse me, and make me a new creature. I ask in the name of Jesus. I take Jesus as Lord of my life from this time on and forevermore. Jesus is my Lord. Now put your hands up and thank God for that. Maybe you did it five, 50 years ago or five minutes ago. Just thank him right now.